Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. According to one opinion, when the Jews crossed the Red Sea, they actually didn't go from one side of the Red Sea to the other side of the Red Sea. We have this amazing teaching, which is the Jews actually entered into the Red Sea from one side to escape the Egyptians, and then emerged, like imagine an arc or a rainbow shape, emerged on the same side that they entered the Red Sea from. But think about it this way. It's not like God had to escape the Egyptians. <laughs> you know, right? Like the, the Egyptians are on my tail. How am I going to lose them? I know, I'll take them through the water and I'll drown them that way. God could have zapped the Egyptians before they got to the water. So God was there every single step of the way. Not only that, all of a sudden the Egyptians say, why did we let them go? How about because the greatest empire in ancient times was absolutely destroyed in front of your eyes? How's that for a reason? So from this you see something, I think, amazing, which is how quickly you can forget trauma or how quickly you can not learn from your own experience. I was sharing that with a doctor friend of mine. He does pain relief. And he volunteered to me that, that when patients come in with symptoms, he records what pain that they're having. Because he finds that they forget their pain. That they'll come back later and they won't remember how intense their pain was. And so he'll remind them because he's got written notes from their own words from older sessions. So that is interesting. We can learn something positive from that, which is if they can forget going through 10 plagues, then what about us in our own lives? Perhaps we can also leave our trauma behind, hopefully while still remembering the instruction where we've been guided in a positive way, but nonetheless to be able not to be paralyzed by past trauma and past negative experiences. So again, we have this amazing teaching, which is that according to one opinion, the Jews actually entered into the Red Sea from one side to escape the Egyptians and then emerged, like imagine an arc or a rainbow shape, emerged on the same side that they entered the Red Sea from. And then in that little arc that takes place within the water itself, amazing miracles, including the drowning of the Egyptian army. Now remember, not only did the sea split in every gathering of water around the world, but even more amazing, all of the heavens split. Now, we tend to think that there's heaven and there's earth. That's true. But the map of the heavens is a little bit more detailed. And there's a phrase that you see throughout Torah, it's all over the, the Psalms, and it's in the Talmud. It's in lots and lots of places, in the Chumash itself, in the Torah itself, which is Shemei HaShemayim. 
what that means is the heavens of the heavens. Meaning to say that there is not just one level of heaven, but there are many levels of heaven, that the heavens have heavens. I'll tell you something very deep and Kabbalistic right now. You have this concept of six directions. That's the different areas that we shake the Lulav and Esrik, for instance. That would be up, down, and then you've got right, left, front, and back. So that's six directions. And then if you want to get even deeper, you've got then the seventh dimension, which is the inside of the cube. So that's like Shabbos. Shabbos is the seventh day. Shabbos brings you to the inner dimensions of reality, which inform all reality. Because remember, as Reb Shlomo said, before God created the world, what time was it? Shabbos. So Shabbos gets you into the inside, which connects you to the outside. <laughs> That's the one little taste of the depth of Shabbos there. But anyway, you've got this concept of six dimensions. And the Kabbalists, the Pischei Sharon brings that, that when God created the first six days of the week, that correlates with these six directions. In other words, it wasn't just that God created time and imagine like a, a rolled up carpet and God sort of like unrolls this carpet of time. That's the first six days of the week. By the way, even in that construct, you have the idea of the seventh day being Shabbos, being a whole new creation. That's very important because Shabbos, Shabbos was the last thing created. So you have something Darwinian going on in terms of if you look at, 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 at the description of the life forms that are created in the Torah, which is you have less complex life forms. And as the days of the week progress, you have more complex life forms being created. So that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Until you have the creation of man. And that's on the sixth day. And then after the creation of man, you go even higher. You have the creation of woman. And that's one of our sources that women, actually, spiritually speaking, are higher than men, since that's the next stage creation after man. But then there's one more creation, which is Shabbos. God then creates Shabbos, which is then beyond. That's the crown of all creations. Okay, so the first six days of the week, that's made out of one type of fabric of time. And then you have Shabbos, and that's, the, that's something new. So if you think of the unfurled carpet, six days and then something new, that's Shabbos. But let's focus on the six days right now. Switch paradigms. This is getting back to the other thought of this six directions or six dimensions. So the idea being that each day of the week building towards Shabbos is already another dimension being added to reality. All right? Now that's just in terms of creating our world, the one that we inhabit. But now what I'm telling you is that the heavens have heavens. And when we went through the split sea, it wasn't just the water that was split, it was the heavens that were split, so that every single person, even the most humble person, the least learned person among the Jewish people, was able to receive a vision of the heavens that was higher than Yecheskel, 
Now, Yechezkel is one of our primary prophets who says the words, Baruch Shem Kovod Machuso Le'elam Va'ed. Blessed is the glory of Hashem forever and ever. And he hears the angels saying that, gathered around the throne of glory toward the top of the heavens. So it says that the lowest, simplest person crossing the sea, when all the heavens were split, got a vision higher than Yechezkel, also a.k.a. Ezekiel in English, okay? So then what happens? Then we go back to the same side of the river that we entered in on. Okay? Now, I think one of the cool things about that is God says, do you think that I have to go to the other side of the river to escape the Egyptians? Are you kidding me? Right? No, I don't. Okay? So I I just sort of love the inherent rebuke and inherent reality check to any opposition to God in the world. You know, so that's, that's just one level. That's a very simple level. But let's get a little bit deeper. Imagine how differently the Jews emerged after that experience, having received that level of revelation. Now, the, the study that I want to do is to compare and to contrast that level of revelation, the, the, the nature of the revelation that the Jews got when they crossed the sea, to the revelation that they're going to get a few weeks later at Mount Sinai. Because then our souls are going to fly out of our bodies. And we're also going to have a different experience of the heavens there. Or a similar experience. I don't know. But it seems like it was probably different because the Torah is being given at that moment. So, so it would be just interesting to compare those two prophetic experience, experiences that the Jewish people had. Because that's in our DNA. That, that was given over to us. So we, we have both of those experiences in us to this day. Anyway, suffice it to say, we came back through this experience of the splitting of the seas, different people. And now I want to suggest an explanation of why God would take us out on the same side. To show us that that all that wonderment is not over there, meaning on the other side of the river, but it's right over here where you were to begin with. Our eyes are just not open to it. So if our eyes can just be open to it, we can see that all those things are here right now. Anyway, something special came to me. If you look at the shape of tefillin, and you look at the base of Migdash, you'll see that the way tefillin are shaped and the way the base of Migdash is shaped is the same, it's, it's the same shape. Now, mo- most people don't know that, but if you actually just look at a picture of both of them, you go, oh, that's the same shape, which is pretty remarkable. That's a remarkable insight in and of itself. Now, I heard Reb Shlomo say that when God brings Mashiach, we're going to see that the third base of Migdash, we're waiting for the building of the third holy temple, that the third base of Migdash was always there, we just didn't have the eyes to see it. And we talk about how it's in Shemayim, it's in heaven, that it's there, it's there. Rabbi Nachman talks about how each of the mitzvahs that we do 
is like another block that goes up in the heavens and builds this base Hamikdash. So that's 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 also an amazing idea. But the idea being the following: the idea that it's there, but that we don't have the eyes to see it. So I want to suggest that your the tefillin that you put on your head. That's the third base Hamikdash. That represents the third base Hamikdash. It's there. It's elevated. You can't see it. But there it is, right? So we, we live with it. We live with it. So if we had the eyes to see, what would we see that's there right now? So God, God fills the entire world. So there is nothing, there is no place where God isn't. So, so there is, even within evil, there is a, a, a spark of the divine. That doesn't mean that therefore evil is good or that we should embrace evil. We have to eradicate evil. The way you reveal the spark of the divine in evil is by eradicating the evil, right? Not, not by stroking the evil. You, you eradicate the evil and that reveals, you know, so sometimes one of the ways that God guides the world, and this is a very frustrating, painful way, but this is one of the ways that God guides the world, is to strengthen evil and then to eradicate it. So in our lifetimes, we, we live through an example of this. Hopefully we'll live with, through many more examples of this, which was the shattering of the Soviet empire. We experienced that. But first, God made it stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And then he showed that there is no power to it whatsoever. And he's doing that with the Iranian theocracy right now. And he's doing it with all these other things. He's making them stronger, not because they have any strength in and of themselves, but just to wait for the appropriate moment in God's wisdom to show that they have no power whatsoever. And, and God willing, we will see those those destructions, which will be revelations, with our own eyes soon, God will. In terms of there being a greater reality, let me tell you something that I saw from Reb Tzadok HaKoyen in Tekanis HaShavin, which is one of his svarim. A very amazing thing. So, so Shlomo Melech in Kahelis, in Ecclesiastes, ends by saying that the whole world is Hevel. It's all Hevel. So Hevel means basically nonsense. Okay, That's, that would be sort of like the meat and potatoes translation of it. Like all of this stuff, it's all nothing. But really Hevel comes from the word breath or vapor. And so the whole world is vapor or breath. Right, this is like getting into this matrix type of idea. So now listen to what he does. He gives you two bits of imagery which are beyond. He says, imagine a pot of soup. Right, this is, this is Rav Tzadok Koin, one of the greatest Jewish minds in history. He says, imagine a pot of soup and the steam coming up from the soup. He says, the steam is not the point. The soup is the point. The essence of the reality of the soup 
is not the steam coming out of the soup. It's the soup itself. He says, this world is like the steam from the soup. And the next world is the soup. And then he says the same thought another way. He says, imagine you take challah, like bread, out of the oven, and you see steam coming out of the bread. The point is not the steam coming out of the bread. The point is the bread. This world is like the steam coming out of the bread. The next world is the bread. All right? This is, this is beyond. This is beyond. And so this whole idea of a matrix, which a lot of, you know, people are advancing, which even like, I, I know like smart people who are very sincere Jews, Torah Jews, are confused by this. Don't, don't be confused by this. God did create this reality, but it's a loving God. It's a, it's a God who's involved in all of our lives. And there is a greater reality beyond this reality, and God fills that reality too. Remember, we don't say the world is God and God is the world. If you say the world is God and God is the world, that, believe it or not, in Torah is a heretical thought because you're putting parameters and confines around God. God fills this world, and he exists dimensions beyond, 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 beyond. Let me give you an example. Kaviyocho, not, I'm not talking about God right now, but just so you can stretch your mind a little bit, okay? Let's say you have a pencil and a piece of paper, and you draw a circle. That circle is in two dimensions. Now imagine you pick up a ball. That ball is a circle in three dimensions, right? Now what does a ball look like in four dimensions? Oh, wait a second. <laughs> Give me a moment there. Wait. A circle is in two dimensions on a page. A ball is in three dimensions. What does a circle look like in the fourth dimension? I don't know. My brain doesn't go that far. Mm-hmm. How about a circle in the fifth dimension? How about a circle in the nth dimension? <laughs> It's like, ah, ah, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's right. Because as I've said to you before, all of reality can be expressed in the following simple way. The interaction between the infinite and the finite. Right? Our brains, as sophisticated as they are, at a certain point, hit a level where we can't, we can't do more than that. Because our brains are a creation, and God is the creator. God is the creator. God is beyond, 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 beyond. Okay? So even if you posit a quote-unquote matrix, well, that is this world. Yeah, there, God created the world with the, with, with, with the Hebrew letters. Like, you know, Adam looked into the animals, and he saw that the letters spelling out the words of the animals. And, and, and with that, that's what he called the animals. Like, sure, ox. He could see the shin and the vav and the resh, and he could say, okay, that's the divine energy it's made out of. So, so there is a matrix element to this world. But when we think about the matrix, 
we think that there's some like weirdo Elon Musk type sitting behind a computer who's pulling the strings on us, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. That's where the analogy stops, right? That, that's not what's going on, okay? There is a bit of a code to this world. There is a DNA to this world, which is the energies of creation. They are the 10 spherod, and they're the 22 letters, and, and all of the rest. That is going on. But it's all within God. We dwell within God's consciousness. That is the proper model. Now remember, as my grandfather, you should rest in peace, used to say, smart, smart, stupid. <laughs> right? There are certain thoughts that you have to be very smart in order to get wrong. Because first you have to get the first smart, then you got to get to the second smart, right? You got to get your master's and you got to get your PhD in order to say something incredibly stupid, right? So, so smart, smart, stupid, right? Just because you got the first two smarts doesn't mean you got the third smart. So there are overlaps in terms of the model, but then if you distort the Torah truth, then you've bought into the wrong model. Then it's smart, smart, stupid. And where the bottom line is just you're wrong. Okay. So I want to go deeper into this idea because I'm really talking about our relationship with God. You know, I, I always tell you this thing that I heard from Rabbi Green. That if you go to like a, a romantic comedy movie or like usually it follows this structure. Boy, boy me meets girl, boy loses girl, <laughs> boy gets girl, right? And then it ends with a wedding. That's the, the standard structure. And then the movie ends. And Rabbi Green always says that, nope, that's when I want to start watching. Like now that they've got each other, how do they live with each other? He says, that, that's the part that, that, that I want to see. And so I always feel like that's us and God. God has us, we have God. Now the question is, now what? How do we live together? Because that is the subject of our 70, 80, 120 years in this world. Now that we have each other, how do we live with each other? Like, what do we do? So, so the Torah is teaching us how to live with God and how to make that, that relationship successful. Because... Because that's the essence of our lives. Okay. So, here's what most people think. All right? I'm, I'm t what I'm telling you right now, it's like, Reb Shlomo would say, open up your heart. Because what I'm telling you right now is not just a series of thoughts. I'm, I'm telling you foundational things for your whole life right now. Okay? Here's what most people think. Most people think that I've got some needs. We all have needs. Everyone has needs. I have some needs. And let's say there's this particular need that's very pressing. Maybe it's I need a job. Maybe it's I need a refuah. I need a healing. Maybe it's I need a husband or a wife. Or maybe I need kids. Something like this. These are really very strong needs that people have. Okay. So I have this need. And I pray to God, please, God, give me this particular need. 
And now, that's already a level, by the way. If someone can get to that level, because that means that they're already acknowledging God, they already acknowledge that God is, can answer all prayers, they're turning to God for the answer to that prayer. So the person who's in this situation is already in a good place, relatively speaking. But now here's where the problems start, okay? Which is, the person then says, well, God, I've been praying for this thing for a while, and you don't seem to be answering my prayer. And now they conclude, many people conclude, that God is only with me to the extent that he is answering this pressing prayer that I have, this pressing need that I have. And it's very natural and extremely human to go to that place. And let me repeat that, okay? I call this, by the way, bad math. But this is what, what people do, and it's, it's, it's very natural to do this. You're not a bad person if you're doing this. Most people do this, okay? God is only with me to the extent that he's answering this need that I have. And if he's not answering this need that I have, he's not with me. He's not close to me. Maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe depending on your psychological makeup, you even go to God hates me. People start to get, you know, very emotional in terms of how they process a need not being met when they're turning to God. Who is good? Who loves us? So it just doesn't compute that God is not answering this prayer. Okay, this is a lot of what the human condition is all about, dealing with this very issue. But let me ask you something. How are you even alive to pray if God is not with you? How is there even a universe for you to be praying in if God is not with you? How are you even able to articulate this prayer if God is not making your body function and allowing your brain to work and allow you to utter these words? How are you even wearing clothes at the time that you're talking to God if God hasn't provided you with those clothes? How are you even, like, doing anything, processing thoughts, firing synapses across this universe that we just call a brain if God is not there to sustain it and to guide it? So God is ultimately close at all times. So we're not being ignored. This is the key breakthrough that I'm suggesting. I heard a teaching which I love. When we pray, God gives us one of three answers. Answer number one, yes. Answer number two, not yet. Answer number three, I have something even better for you. Notice of those three answers, none of them were no. And none of them were, what? I wasn't listening. Because <laughs> you don't matter. That was not one of the options. And so the thing is, is that if God is not giving it, us something that we want, that is not God ignoring us. It's perhaps, and often, the Rambam would say, God saying, God wants something different from us. 
In other words, we're in a place where that would not be a blessing. How can I get to a place in my life which is different from where I'm holding right now, where I can receive that thing and it would be a blessing? So now it requires change on our part. I'll tell you something. This happened to me many years ago. Actually, I never connected the dots because I probably should not have gone to this place where I was going. In fact, I know I shouldn't have gone to that place where I was going. But I was in a bus station and I was waiting in a line and I finally got to the end of the line and I was waiting in the line for the wrong bus. (laughs) There was a sign that don't go to that, don't get on that bus. But what did I know? I went on to a different line and got on to another bus to that place. What's the point? The point is that a lot of times we might be waiting for a particular thing, but we're waiting, in the lo- we're waiting in the wrong line. Meaning that I think it's just being patient, being the person that I am now. But that could be me just waiting patiently in the wrong line. Maybe I got to get into a different line, meaning I've got to become something else or change an aspect of myself to receive that blessing so that it will be a plus and not a minus. So that requires talking to someone wise, whether that's a close friend or a rabbi or a psychologist or whatever it is. My father, should rest in peace, was a psychologist and he used to always say, there can be no change without insight. Person needs insight because otherwise they don't know what it is to change. What should I be doing? I heard Rabbi, Michal Tversky say, let's say you change something about yourself for the good and you still don't get the blessing. You improved your life. Meaning to say, any change that I make is ultimately positive. I benefit. Okay, maybe I'm still waiting. But something got, incom- something got accomplished. My father used to talk about the null hypothesis a lot. The null hypothesis is, let's say I want to prove that X is true. And I go through a whole series of experiments. And I'm not able to prove it. But you know what comes out of that? I now know that X is not the answer. (laughs) And, And that's worth something, too. Like there's a Hasidic story like that which illustrates the null hypothesis, which is there's someone lost in the forest and it's getting toward night and that's when the wild animals and the robbers come out and that was life and death and the person's starting to panic. I, I, I don't know the way out of the forest. And then they see an old man and it's like, ah, thank God. They think their life has been saved. They go up to the old man and they say, which way out of the forest? And the old man says back to them, I'm sorry to tell you I'm also lost but I can tell you which ways not to go. That's very valuable. Okay, it's not the ultimate answer, but that's very useful information. Which way shouldn't I go? So look, no one likes living with things that they don't have, that they need. It is suffering, it is suffering. So so how do you do do it? And I'm not suggesting that it's easy in the slightest. It's not, it's not. But here is my best advice. The key is gratitude. One has to take 
the offensive, meaning to say one has to actively look at all of the small things and to thank God for all of the small things. Like if you put on a clean shirt in the morning, it's like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, the, even the, the, the soldiers who are fighting in Israel right now, a lot of them are wearing the same clothes for weeks. And these are people who have other clothes. So we're not even talking about the people who are being held hostage. I'm talking about people who have other clothes. So if you, if you put on a clean shirt in the morning, that, that's, there's actually a blessing that we say, Every morning we say, God, thank you, you who clothes the naked. Let me, let me tell you a phenomenon that I've noticed. Have you ever experienced this where you've borrowed something from someone? And for whatever reason, not because you're a bad person or anything like that, but you've had it for so many years <laughs> that at a certain point you've sort of said, well, that's mine. <laughs> just by virtue of the fact that you've just had it for so long. And so this is what happens with us with these blessings that God is giving us on a regular basis. All these quote-unquote little things, because we have them, we've decided that they're ours and they're no longer a gift and they no longer belong to God. They're mine. And then the conversation is, but what have you done for me lately? Instead of, oh, I forgot all these things that you did for me today and right now in this second. And we have to really fight against that way of thinking that we're hardwired, by the way, hardwired by God, hardwired by God to fall into, which is to think that all of this is mine. God wants us to actively resist that thought. So, so... So if you want to make steps in terms of your relationship with God, actively search out all of the small things as you go through your day. I really enjoy my morning cup of coffee a lot, you know? And it's sort of like I've got a little area where the coffee is, and it's like, who says there has to be any coffee there, right? Until I run out? No, like, you mean I've got coffee today and you already put it in my house, God? Right? And now, like, I'm getting, like, a little bit fancy. I've got, like, a little tiny grinder and I'm doing it with beans, right? And it's sort of like, oh, these beans are from South America. Oh, these beans are from Africa. Oh, this one has already been ground for me. What I'm talking about right now is actually living with reality. Like it's gonna, it might sound to you that I'm talking about, wow, he's so spiritual, he's asking us to be so spiritual. That is not what is going on here. And if you think that's what's going on here, you're really off. I hate to say it, but you're really off. Because what I'm talking about is the basic way to go through life. It's just we're so off, we're so off, that we've decided that all these things don't matter anymore. And that they aren't expressions of love, which they are. 
Like, would you want to be that partner in a relationship where every single morning you bring flowers to your wife and you bring in the newspaper and then you get fresh orange juice from the market and you deliver that to your wife and she says, where are the eggs? And you go, well, wait a second, you know, I, I love you, but I went to three different places to get this. Do you understand that when we don't go step by step through life with our eyes open, we are being that partner to God? Do you want to be that partner in a relationship? I don't. And I'm not saying that I am not that partner in the relationship. I'm often that partner in the relationship. I mean, let's be real. But I don't want to be that partner in the relationship. Now, I saw something from Reb Shlomo in the name of Rebbe Nachman. He says, what is exile? Exile is when you know something, but it's not clear to you. See, we tend to think that once I hear something, I know it. But no. Once you hear something, you've heard something. (laughs) Once you process and internalize and review something, you know something. Hearing is not knowing. Knowing is a much higher level which requires work. The point is not to hear a lot of Torah. The point is to know a lot of Torah. And there's a world of difference between hearing a lot of Torah and knowing a lot of Torah. And it has everything to do with this idea that Rabbi Nachman is saying that exile is knowing something, but it's not clear to you. Then he says, Geula, redemption, is knowing something and it's so clear it's shining like the sun. So when you actually know something, everywhere you look, it's a manifestation of that thing that you've learned. That's Geula, that's redemption. The person that I learn with gets very, very frustrated with me on a regular basis because I'm not going fast enough. He wants me to go faster. And he gets annoyed. And I just want to try to understand it. We do one line, we do a half a line. I'm happy if I'm understanding it. The point is to understand it to see the world through the lens of that teaching from Chazal. You know, I'll tell you one of my all-time favorite stories from Rabbi Nachman. So there's a king, and the king has a new palace. And there's this, like, grand hall where, where you enter into the palace. And he wants it to look amazing. So he hires, it's like a big job, you know, you you can't just hire one artist for this. So he hires these two artists. And he says to one, you do this side, and then you do the other side. And here's when it's got to be finished by. So the first artist gets to work right away. And he starts painting this mural that's like beyond. And the other artist is 
seriously procrastinating. <laughs> he figures he's got a lot of time to get this done, and he's thinking about it and kind of, you know, waiting for inspiration and all the rest. And then he sees that not only is the other artist almost done, right? But he is literally out of time. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. What am I going to do? So the due date comes and the king walks in and he sees the, the first artist's work on one side of the hall and he's blown away. And now he turns to see what the other artist did and the king says, well, let's, let's see. And he parts the curtain and he's put a mirror there which just reflects the work of the other artist. <laughs> It just reflects the work of the other artist, okay? So when you walk in, you have the experience of that art on both walls, but it's really not the case. And how does the king react? Here's the interesting part. This is the end of the story from Rabbi Nachman. So if you were writing the story, I think it would be very instructive to ask yourself, like it's going to be a, like a Rorschach test of your relationship with God right now, based on how you think the king is going to react. So just have an answer in your head, and now I'm going to tell you how the king reacts. He loves it. He loves it. Because he knows that the guy pulled something. He knows. He's the king. Come on. But at the same time, he sees that he really tried in his own way you know, at his level, tried to do his best, and that is the best that he could come up with at the moment, and did actually come up with a pretty interesting solution. <laughs> so now I want to give you my interpretation of this. If we can do what the rabbis tell us to do, that's us holding up a mirror to the rabbi's thoughts. In other words, why are Hasidim, like, attaching themselves to a Rebbe? Because a Rebbe is like, kind of like beyond. Like, how are you, Rebbe, how are you getting all those thoughts? Like, they're so inspiring. They're so brilliant. Like, how do you do it? And, and you're, you're thinking about God all the time, or you're trying to, and you're, okay, so I'm not that guy. But if I attach myself to you, if I can make myself to be a mirror reflecting you, then, then that, that shows that I'm really trying. Like, who do I want to be like? Am I, am I just looking into a mirror reflecting myself back? Or am I creating myself into a mirror to reflect you? That's what it means to, like when it says in Pirkei Avos, make yourself a teacher. You know, meaning to say, well, you should also become a teacher if you can, but, but acquire a teacher. Right? Who, who would you like to be a reflection of? And, and maybe it's someone, you know, who's, you have a relationship with in the here and now. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's a safer, you know, the writings of a, of, a, of a very great person who you can learn from. Okay, so, so I want to I wanna go deeper. I want to go deeper still. Because we're talking about, we're talking about this relationship that we need to build with God and to understand that, that God is always there. 
And that, that we can make that clear to ourselves if, if we just contemplate the fact that how can we be here if God's not here? Okay. And a key aspect of that is just understanding the goodness of God. Because it's not just that God is here, and it's not just that God is sustaining you. But let me tell you what God isn't, okay? God isn't a cat holding a mouse by its tail and slapping the mouse around with the other paw. (laughs) That's not God. That's not God. Because there are a lot of people who believe in God and believe that he's all-powerful and believe that he's just essentially messing with us. And that's not Judaism. Judaism is there's an all-powerful God and that God is good. You know, I'll tell you something personal. I'm waiting for some news on something, you know? And just because of the nature of these things, it's, it's a longish wait. Okay, so fine. So I say to myself, you know what? I would really like this to happen. That would be nice. In, in terms of my limited understanding of things, it seems like it would be a good thing. But then I think to myself, well, wait a second, but God is good. And if it doesn't happen, that's God's goodness manifesting itself. And then I started thinking further, like, am I just consoling myself with that thought? Or do I actually believe that? See, that's the difference what Rabbi Nachman is saying between exile and redemption. Exile is when you have the thought, but it's not clear to you. Redemption is when you have the thought and you can actually see it and it shines like the sun. So if I get it, seemingly that's a great thing. If I don't get it, wow, thank you, God. Which means that God is doing that great thing for me even better than I can imagine right now. I don't even have to wait to find out Because the God who is doing this great chesed for this not happening, that's the same God who's doing all that great stuff for me right now. Which means that I'm sort of already there right now. In other words, we went in on one side of the river and came out on the other side of the river to see that everything is already there right now. All of those great things, that's the same God who's providing you whatever you have right now. Okay. So, so again, let's, let's go deeper. So I have family who live in Mexico City. And they like to kidnap people in Mexico City. People who have any money. They kidnap them, and it's a fairly standard business over there. Usually... Maybe the person will get hurt, I don't know, but a lot of times the person's not hurt. But you're not going to see the person again unless you give them X amount of dollars. That's the business, okay? So people don't walk around a lot, and they take certain protections and things like this, okay? I remember I was there for a family event a few years ago, and all of a sudden we realized there was a family member that wasn't there who had taken a walk And I'm telling you, panic. There was panic among these people who live there. 
you know, because their mind went right to the idea, oh, he's been kidnapped. Thank God he wasn't kidnapped. He had just gotten lost. But, but it was like a moment. Anyway, so, so someone from my family, from Mexico City, told me the following story about someone who was kidnapped. So this person was put in a room, and there was a table in the room. And after he was freed, he reported back the following story. He said that at nighttime, the room became completely black, and I couldn't see anything. But I knew that the table that had been there during the daytime was still there even though I couldn't see it. And I realized that God is still with me even though I can't see him at this time in my life. Just like the table is there when it's completely black, but I know that it's there, so too I know that God is still with me at this time in my life, even though it's a very black time in my life and I can't see him. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you another story. And it's going to take that story that I just told you one step further. Okay? So Rabbi Sefran, the head of Eula Torah High School here in Los Angeles, spoke on Shabbos. And he said that he was in, he said, I was at the Kotel last Shabbos, last Friday night. And actually he, he said something very nice. He said that, that there, he was with like 100 Eula people there, which is amazing. And there was someone who came up and just introduced himself to him and, and asked him his name. And the guy asked him, where are you from? And he said, Los Angeles. And then the person says, he's never seen this person before. The person said, I come to the Kotel once a year for inspiration. And you have the happy meaning in Los Angeles every single week? You know? So I was like, yes! Yeah. All right. So anyway... But that, that's not why I'm bringing this up. He said something else, which is that he was able to visit at, at one of the hospitals with someone who is held hostage, someone named Itai, who was released with his sister. And Rabbi Suffren was there with a number of his students. And he said that Itai, you know, at least outwardly, you know, tattoos, this and that, like, you know, Let's just say he didn't look like he walked out of Meir Sharma, right? And so he asked him, while you were in captivity from Hamas, did you pray? Right? Because he was released, which is pretty miraculous. By the way, even more miraculous because he's a 19-year-old man. They don't release 19-year-old men. They were releasing women, children, and the elderly, but not men of fighting age. Those, those people weren't getting out, okay? So, but it's because he, his sister was already there, and I guess there was some clause that siblings would be released together, that he, just this like extra miracle was added that he was able to get out. Okay, amazing. So he asked him, did you, did you pray? And and Rabbi Suffren said he was surrounded by some of his students and really had to prepare for just an honest answer, no. 
and whatever impression that would have made on the people that he was with. Okay. So he said, in the beginning, he said, I didn't pray. He said, but they allowed us, because my sister was there, they allowed us to write little handwritten notes back and forth to each other. And he said, I didn't know where she was, and I couldn't see her. And she didn't know where I was, and she couldn't see me. But I would write notes to her, and I would get back responses. And he said, after that went on for a while, I started thinking. Just like I can write a note to her, and I can't see her, and I get a response back, so too I can speak to God, even though I can't see him, and I can get a response back from God, even though I don't see him. And then he said, as soon as I realized that, I started talking to him on a regular basis, just like I'm talking to you right now. And again, what does Rebbe Nachman of Breslov say? Talk to God like he's your best friend. That's how you're supposed to talk to God, like he's your best friend. And, and, and to do it when you're driving, to do it when you're walking around the house, like the idea of sort of formalizing it, that it can only happen like during prayers or only in a synagogue or something like this is ridiculous because God is everywhere. And probably the most important communications are coming from those moments. And the more you talk, the more you make all of these thoughts real, right? Because remember, when God created the universe, he spoke the universe into existence which means when you speak, you create a dimension of reality that's much more immersive and much more real. So speaking creates relationships. And when you speak to God, you create the reality of God in a much more substantial way in your life. So let's go back to our initial problem. I'm praying for something in particular. And God is not giving me that thing. So I think God has abandoned me. But meanwhile, we see that God is in an active conversation with me. That this entire world is a conversation that God is having with me at all times. It's awesome. God couldn't be closer. All right, and now I want to take it to the next level. And I heard this from Rabbi Mati Berger from Esha Torah. He says, if someone calls you every single day and you return their call once a month, you don't have an everyday relationship with the person. You have a once a month relationship with the person. In other words, the person less invested in the relationship determines the level of the relationship. I'll say that again. The person less involved in the relationship determines the level of the relationship. If you call me every single day and I return your call once a month, we don't have an everyday relationship. We have a once a month relationship. Now listen to this. Every single second that we exist is God contacting us and phoning us and texting us and investing in us. 
which means the phone is constantly ringing. And the only question is, do I want to pick up the phone or not? Because I get to determine what kind of relationship I want to have with God. You know, like imagine you meet someone that you really like, right? Maybe it's a romantic thing. Maybe it's just a friend. And you're like, wow, I would like to spend more time with you. And, the, and you don't know if the other person wants to spend more time with you. Maybe they do. Maybe not as much time as you want to spend. Or maybe it's like a match. They want to spend exactly the same amount of time with you as you do with them. It's, wow, this is amazing, you know? Hey, you want to go and see that movie? Yes. Hey, you want to go to the park tomorrow? Yes. Hey, you want to go for a drive nowhere in particular? Yes. <laughs> so how would you like to be in a relationship, like a super close relationship, like closer than close relationship with the one who created all of reality and keeps it going every single moment. I would like to be in that relationship. That would be like a really sweet relationship to be in, right? But you go, well, I mean, someone like that, you know, I'm just going to bore them, you know. They're going to get tired of me, you know. And the answer is no. <laughs> they actually created you. <laughs> so they find you utterly fascinating. <laughs> and they're only too eager to hear from you all of the time. That's us and God. That is the reality. That is the reality. And now, it's up to us if we want to live that reality. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.